and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Olivia Orhofsky, I am so excited to share your story. Thank you so much for coming on my She's the Boss Chats podcast. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have a chat. My absolute pleasure. So let's start with telling everybody what it is that you're actually doing now. So at the moment, I am the founder of a women's health tech startup. Um, It is called Femtech, F-E-M-T-E-K, little clever um, change of Very spelling cool name. Um, <laughs> so I'm the founder of that. It is a, it's the first smart ring on the market. That's a women's health smart ring. So it works with your menstrual cycle. So it's the first menstrual oh, wow. health focused smart ring on the market. Um, and it's going to give a lot of data to women and help them actually work with their cycles, see where they are in their cycles and actually give them data that helps drive them forward. Wow. Oh my goodness. I love it. So tell me what's the big why? Why have you decided to do this? Oh God. It's, do you know, it's hard because obviously I I come from a background where I've been a women's health coach for quite some time now. I've been a coach prior to that, you know, started with personal training and what, how it got to the why of why I do this was really because I worked so closely with women and saw what was missing for them. I had so many pain points and problems with my own clients of, you know, compliance of getting them to take oral temperatures of trying to see where they are in their cycle of trying to get information from them, which was just really hard to get. So why does that matter? Why do you want to know what, what, where people are in their cycle and temperatures and things like that? Well, I mean, that's so crucial in terms of women's health because our cycle dictates what is going on with our health. It is the biggest indicator of what is going on with our health. You know, if we're having heavy bleeds, painful bleeds, if we're having short cycles, long cycles, all of that is dictating what is actually going on with our health. You know, it's our fifth vital sign. Um, so it was, you know, all of these problems I was having with my clients of trying to get information and streamline processes. And that's really where Femtech was born. So it was born out of a frustration of working in my own industry and not, not being able to help clients as much as I knew I could, because I didn't have the data available to, to help them and trying to get that data would have cost them an absolute fortune in buying 20 different wearables to get what I needed and then complicated my life even further to try and look at all the different (laughs) portals and, you know, websites and everything. So that's really where it was born and why. Wow. Okay. And was there a light bulb moment? Was there something that kind of tipped you and when you just went, right, that's it, I'm going to go and create something? Did something happen specifically? it was, I was actually um, a guest at a seminar. I was one of, one of my colleagues was hosting a seminar and I was a guest speaker and it was through speaking at that seminar. I was like, oh my God, like I'm talking about all of these things that I would love to see from a client and there's no way to get it and let's just do it. So that's really where it started. And that was in 2020, in, in May, 2020. Oh, Sorry. good timing. <laughs> Little project for the lockdowns. <laughs> oh, God, don't talk to me about that. But it's um, look, it's been 
um, it's been a long journey to this point. Um, well, and obviously had it not was, been for lockdowns, I wouldn't have time. No, the time, but also I guess what the lockdown did for a lot of people was brought them into a digital world that prior to that they hadn't really been doing much of. Absolutely. And was it was it that that also drove you wanting more data because, you know, because therefore you're doing this, I'm guessing you brought some of your stuff onto Zoom um, and it was – I, I don't know whether – did it have any effect on you, do you think, the fact that it that the pandemic was there and that everyone started embracing digital whether they wanted to or not? Yeah, I definitely think um, that that, um, that played, in, played a role, but I, not necessarily in the same sense of, you know, everyone wanting to embrace digital. It was more no. so <laughs> that it was um, – it was more so that I now had clients who are highly stressed who had – had their work affected by lockdowns and weren't making as much money. So to actually put something forward to them, you know, 10 different options of wearables like that, that was even more of a non-existent. So I think, yeah, I think that's where it really, really came from. But with what you just said, I absolutely agree lockdowns and, and they forced everyone to become digital and work in 20, 20, as opposed to, you know, how yeah. some businesses still operate in 1990. So I, I still don't, and and um, you'll have to bear with me because I'm not great in terms of um, sport and training and exercise, just for anyone who might be listening. So I'll have to ask some dumb questions, but I'm interested to know a little bit more about why you need that kind of data, because there is a woman in our group, Mish, Mish Wright, who writes a lot of white, white papers and programs around exercise for women and has um, sort of told me, which I had never really thought of, that most exercise programs have been designed by men for for men, including exercise machines that are all designed for men's shape and physiology. So as we delve into much more into women and exercise and fitness, what what kind of what what difference does it make if you have that kind of data? What do you use it for? Oh, I mean, it makes like it's. I can't articulate how much of a difference it makes. When you look at men's hormones over a 28-day period, you know, if we're talking about the textbook cycle, if we look at men's yeah. hormones over a 28-day period, their testosterone is just a straight line. Solid, stable. Whereas yeah. when you look at women's hormones over a 28-day period, there's so many fluctuations. We're talking about yeah. rising estradiol. We're talking about rising testosterone around population. <laughs> talking about progesterone we're talking about all of those hormones then plummeting down and if you don't know where you've actually ovulated or how long your luteal phase actually is you don't know when all of that is happening so you have all of these beautiful things that are happening with your cycle you know estradiol is going to impact ligament laxity progesterone Ah, is going to be that's yeah. Yeah. Progesterone is going to be protective to your ligaments. Um, estradiol is incredibly anabolic. So that means women are going to feel really strong um, when, when right. their estradiol is high. And, you know, when they're ovulating and know they're ovulating, they're going to feel even stronger because they've got testosterone. So there's so many things that okay. play into it. And obviously, as, as I said before, as women, their fifth vital sign is their menstrual cycle. Knowing mm. that if there's issues with that, then that um, all of that data gives us key points to look to. So with the ring, we're measuring heart rate variability, heart rate, SpO2, and basal temperature. 
and that basal temperature confirms ovulation for us. In terms right. of women who are entering a perimenopausal life stage, we start to see huge fluctuations in when they're actually ovulating and when they can expect to bleed. So knowing that you've ovulated actually on day six or seven as opposed to normally day 14 or 15 potentially and that you may have a bleed five, ten days from now because of it, that provides a lot of quality of life as well. Um, So there's a lot of things to consider. All right. And then I have to ask the question of, because I'm in that space, what happens when you're menopausal? You know, does that, and you're not bleeding, does that, does that matter? Does, how does that affect, you know, the ring and the exercises and all that kind of thing? Yeah. So obviously when you're menopausal, we're talking about hormones that are flatlined by that point, as opposed to perimenopausal where your hormones are all over the shop. All over the place. All over the place. You know, well, once you get into that uh, menopausal state, it's a lot easier. You know, there's obviously a lot of issues we're talking about what menopausal women have, vaginal dryness, they have decreases in libido, all of the negatives. But if you compare to what you experience in your perimenopausal stage, the hot flushes, the insomnia, the sweat, the moods, all of that, it's a little bit easier. So from a menopausal perspective, you're still able to work with your heart rate and heart rate variability, which are two key markers of stress physiology and actually help manage your life around stress physiology and your training around stress physiology. So that's really crucial as well. Wow. Okay, Olivia, um, we're going to come back. We'll come back to your uh, (laughs) ring in a minute because I want to know a bit more about it. But first, let's go back to how you've got to where you are now. So what sort of, where did you grow up and what sort of size family did you have and what did your parents do? So I grew up in Melbourne. My parents are immigrants from Poland. They came here in their 20s. So they're in the 80s or in their 20s. Um, And they have worked incredibly hard their whole lives. Um, Very, very hard work ethic, very good work ethic. My parents, um, you know, my dad was a baker when I was growing up. And then. Oh, wow. So that's pretty, yeah, long hours. (laughs) Very long hours. Um, So he actually had an allergy to flour. So for 20 years. As a baker. Yeah, it was, it's different flour in Europe. So he came here and it was different flour and had an allergy to it and for 20 years, had sinus issues, but he just went to work and did what he had to do. So they had what a, man. A, he, he's very much the definition of a man when I think of it. Um, <laughs> and so they had the, the cake shop together. Um, right. And then they sold that when I was about 10 and my mum went back to her profession, which is bookkeeping, which is incredibly handy for me as an adult. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my dad actually went back to school and he did oh. a diploma in building and since then has been working in um, trade, so still very laborious work. Um, but, yeah, wow. they've, they've but what great role hard-working. models for you? Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and and, then, I mean, and, and, and any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I've got a brother. He's um he's four years older than me and he is okay. the smart one in the family. He's an aerospace engineer. <laughs> I don't, careful, careful. <laughs> Look at you developing new technology. <laughs> different kinds of smarts. Um, he's an yeah. aerospace engineer and he's very intelligent, very wow. driven with maths and science. Um, he's a very smart man as well, so... Yeah. Wow, really what a family. family. Look, what 
Yeah. So, um, what did what did you enjoy school? What what kind of a student were you? Were you good at it? Did you enjoy it? Um, I didn't not enjoy it, but when I look at aspects of my um, of my school life, a lot of aspects that I didn't enjoy. So I enjoyed learning, and I always have enjoyed learning, but I never enjoyed right. Um, the bullying that came with with school. You know, I was in that generation where phones were just becoming a little bit more accessible and you'd come home and you'd sit on your computer. So whereas now it's obviously full blown, I was in that generation where it was just switching over to that. So there was a lot of bullying, a lot of online bullying. Um, In terms of schooling, I also really struggled from the perspective of, um, teacher and student when I didn't particularly think that the teacher was intelligent. As any well, good. That sounds any good. <laughs> no, um, no. So I, I struggled with that of like sit down and listen when I didn't believe that what they were teaching me was any good or relevant. Um, but I mean, yep. obviously that's subjective. Um, I know, but I can only imagine that's getting much worse for for teachers as time goes through. You yeah, know, I have some and, clients and who are teachers. can access so much info, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was hard. And I think, um, in parts of primary school as well, when I look back on, I went to a religious primary school. Um, and I just remember in grade six that they were asking us to read the Bible and I was just so frustrated. And I was like, this is so stupid. This book is made of tissue paper. Like, why am I reading a book made of tissue paper? So there's aspects of school that I don't think I, I particularly enjoyed. Um, very right. much like that sit down, learn, regurgitate. And I still to this day yeah. don't like that. Even with um, higher education, what I've been through, I really don't like the aspect of here is this essay that you have to write and here we will write grade learning. you on this essay based on yeah. academic language and what you have you met the rubric of what we need you to achieve where you may actually know the content really well but you didn't – you know, answer the the right to the sentence the way they like it. So yeah. that's always bothered yeah. me. I was just talking with someone the other day about how the school system is going to have to change going forward because it's just so antiquated um, and and based on, you know, times way before computers. Okay, so you did you go to year 12? Did you finish school completely? I did. I did finish completely. <laughs> And then, and then uni was kind of a given. I imagine your, both your parents would have wanted you to go to uni. Was that part of it, or? Yeah, so they they did, and I went to uni for about a month, um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, it's and then you went nap. <laughs> no, so and then what what actually happened was my grandmother, who I was incredibly close with, passed away, um, and I had an assignment due at uni and I, I asked for an extension and they said that a grandmother is not a close enough relative to pass away to warrant an extension. So they said no. So I went, screw you guys and dropped out of uni. Um, and right. then from the ages of, well, after high school, so 18 um, to probably 24, I was traveling and working. So I was modeling. Um, so what does, so was, oh, hang on. No, 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 no. Go right back then. Okay. So you <laughs> finished uni after a month, which I bet yes. went down really well with your parents. Um, so how did you then get into modeling? What what went on there? 
Well, so I was modeling from the age of about 14. Um, I got scouted when I was in the city on an excursion, and so I was modeling. Right. Um, and did that, that, would have made the girl, that would have made the girls very jealous maybe at high school. Maybe that was part of the bullying, was it? Um, look, maybe. Maybe it was. Not, not to um, – I obviously don't want to say, you know, they were jealous because of that. I definitely think that it was no, easy but, ammunition. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it wasn't something that anyone spoke about positively um, or anyone had right. any interest in. It was a great frustration for my teachers as well if I had to take time off to go, you know, do a shoot or fashion week or anything like that. It was um, not something that was ever like welcomed or what can we do to help accommodate to this or anything like that. It was very frustrating. Wow, isn't that extraordinary? Like yeah. That's just crazy that they lives. wouldn't be there egging you on. So, um, <laughs> yes. okay, so you finished and you were doing the modelling anyway. What, where, when you say that the modelling gave, well, it obviously gave you funds, but also where did it take you in terms of travel? Was it just yes. within Australia or did you get to travel around the world a bit more? Yeah, so I had a, I spent quite a bit of time in like Australasia, so in Sydney, and then I was in Thailand, I was in Hong Kong, I was in um, New Zealand. Okay. So I spent a lot of time through there, Singapore. Um, so I spent yeah a bit, fair bit of time up until twenty four traveling through there. You know, you do three months stint, come home for a bit, go back for three months. <laughs> so that was really my life until I was twenty four, um, with no real wow. or direction to do anything else. And then I hit 24 and I was like, something needs to yep. change. I'm not going to do this forever, am I? <laughs> oh, that's what I was just going to say. Okay, so you came back at 24. Did something happen in the modelling world that you went, nah, this is not for me? Or was it just time over time that that attrition happened and you just went, no, nah, I'm not. I'm, I'm out? I mean, it's I, I met a lot of great people through the modelling world, but it's definitely a very vapid industry. Um, and after a while, the same conversations just become very monotonous. It's the same thing, you know, go to a shoot, they'd spend four hours talking about where they're going to go to lunch, where they ate on the weekend. Um, and it was just conversations that I wasn't interested in anymore. And then, right. you know, if I'm not interested in something, you like, there's no poker face, you can tell. Um, so then it started kind of like, oh, clients would complain. She wasn't really enthusiastic on set. And I was like, well, no shit, I wasn't enthusiastic on set. You weren't talking about anything that interests me. Um, right. So I think it was in that early 20s, you know, everyone wants to cut loose and have fun and travel and experience things. You're not particularly concerned about is your mind growing? Are you making meaningful relationships? No. Um, and then you just get to a point where you go, okay, I, I think I need something a little bit, a little bit more. And so that's when I came back and then I qualified as a personal trainer. Okay, because I was going to say, how did you get, so why did you choose personal training as um, the um, area that you wanted to get into? So it's funny because at the time I was actually, I, I had been interested in health for quite a few years up to that point. So I was the girl that when we went traveling or you went to a different country for modeling I was the one that would always be getting the girls training and exercising and what are you eating okay let's eat healthy and what's it going on with you health wise so I'd already been interested in health at that point for quite a few years um right and then when I came home I was actually looking into a bachelor of health sciences and then going into med 
But as the story goes, you go, oh, well, 24, by the time I actually am working and making money, I'll be 31 and that's crazy. Whereas now I'm 32 and obviously this startup has sucked (laughs) the life out of me and there's no money, so I might as well have just done that. Um, (laughs) No, no, no. This will make a big difference. It it will. It's Um, all coming. So, yeah, it was just from there that um, personal training, I already had foundations and interest and – was like this is an easy way to start working and, and helping people and really getting more into to the industry. Yeah. So it was just the fastest path into there. Um, but funnily enough, when I was about 15, I joined a gym and I remember saying to my mum, I saw a personal trainer working with a client. And I remember saying to my mum, you know, I think I want to be a personal trainer when I finish school. And you can imagine how that went down to someone who <laughs> is an immigrant and highly values um, higher education and you have a brother who's an aerospace engineer. Um, <laughs> and that, so that obviously got nipped in the butt very quickly, but funny how that's, you know, come full circle. Come full circle um, now. So, so you, so you do personal training. You've obviously worked at that for a little while and you had that moment where you went, I've got to get information out of these women, I've got to find an easy way. What made you think of a ring and how have you managed to develop that? Because has someone come across your path that said, why don't we could do this? Or what made you think of it? So Um, tell me. It was really, I just wanted to think of what the least invasive way to do it was and to get what we needed. So there was already at that point smart rings on the market. So it's like, you know, this is a really non-invasive oh, way yes. to get this uh, yeah. yep. get this data. So it's, you know, not like I've um invented the wheel where No, of course I'm I'm behind I'm behind the eight ball and I'd forgotten that there were rings out there that people are using instead of watches, aren't there? That, that yeah. feedback yeah, so that info. So by that point there had already that. been quite it's <laughs> right. There, there'd already been quite a few smart rings on the market. Yeah. Um, and the wearables that were on the market for women were specifically with temperature tracking and fertility. So when women are trying to conceive, um, and I mean, riddled with their own errors and functionality and comfort and, and what have you. Um, but yeah, that's really where it, where it started. I was like, what's out there so, isn't applicable and it's uncomfortable. And what can we do? That's non-invasive a, a ring. Right. So, so you say, what can we do? How did you find somebody who knew how to put together, like where do you start when you decide that you want to create a smart ring? Did you go find somebody who'd created other apps in smart rings or? So it's, I mean, go back two years, I would have loved (laughs) this answer in a podcast. Um, Two years ago I had, now it's over two and a half years, two and a half years ago I actually had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. No, I bet. And I thought to myself, well, you have so many um, women and influencers and people who just make, you know, active wear lines or clothing lines and they work with the manufacturer. They send them the design, the manufacturer makes it, you know, how hard can that be? Um, surely it's the same. Definitely not the same. Um, I know. Well, I love how ign- ignorance bleeds. What do they say? Ignorance is bliss. Like if you don't know what you don't know, otherwise you never would have gone into it if you'd known. No. I, if, if, <laughs> if I had <laughs> Big learning curve. (laughs) If if I had really known what this would um, end up being and how much it would cost and how much time and energy and tears and money and hair and 
you know, my beautiful dark hair to grey hair it would have cost. Um, I don't know if I would have gone through with it. Um, No, but I think that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. I mean, a lot of us would never have gone there had we known, but all you do is take one step in front of each other and slowly but surely you become an expert in something you had no idea that about becoming an expert in. But having spent two and a half years in wearables now, I bet you know loads and loads and loads. But how did you actually start? So you've thought of this idea and obviously ignorance is bliss. Did you just go out and find somebody who was making smart rings? So at that point, I found a third-party website, um, which I, I won't name because, like, very unhappy with them and there's been a lot of changes since then. So I found, found a third-party right. website that connects you with electrical engineers and mechanical engineers and okay. you work with them. So the original engineers I actually had working on this because, I, like I said, I didn't know where to go and um, – I think a lot of women would empathize with what I'm about to say in the sense that you don't get taken seriously in business a lot of the time. So anytime (laughs) you have an idea or concept or want to do something, when someone does take you seriously and listens and goes, yep, let's do it, you get trigger happy. Um, So that's how I ended up in the the first relationship. You know, it's like that. Yeah, that woman who's somebody been, gets it. Somebody yeah, likes somebody it. Somebody gets it. Um, it's like that woman who's been abused her whole life in, in crappy relationships, and someone's finally nice to her, and she's like, "Yes, look, you. We'll yeah, yeah, not yeah. let you go." Yeah. Um, I so hear yeah, this so much, with, and particularly um, in engineering and tech. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's, it's a difficult um, one. It's very male dominated, and you're asking them to do menstrual tracking. <laughs> it very much is. It's. Been hard. Um, so was working with them initially and then um, it was actually an Australian app developer that I had been recommend, like someone recommended them and I started right. working with them. Um, and again, same thing, you know, it's, it's, there were other developers that I approached, but they said, you're not experienced enough for us to work with you or create this. <laughs> Yeah, um, which is like that typical. You need two years of experience to get this job. Or how am I supposed to get that experience? Um, exactly, exactly. So worked with um, app developers, and then at the start of this year, actually did a big overhaul to the engineering team. So the engineering team is now a Sydney-based team, and they are honestly a, a godsend. I don't know what I would do without they are. Oh, that's great Phenomenal. when you hit the right, the right oh, group. God, I, I think about it where like what, how much money I could have saved had I found them at the start, but then you wouldn't have learned the lesson. No, so, of course not. I mean, yes, hindsight is a great thing. <laughs> it is. But, you know, but, I think about it and I'm like maybe I'd prefer the money instead of the lesson at this point. Well, I was going to say, so <laughs> how have you funded it? Have you had Have you had to bootstrap it yourself or did you get some investment? Yeah, so the – overwhelming majority has been bootstrapped um, and yep. then there has been some minor um, proceed investments. So like, you know, family and friends that have done some very minor investment, um, but the vast majority has been bootstrapped, which has been, um, it, it's been a journey. I'll, I'll say that much. Yeah. Um, it was, <laughs> you know, I, I went from working my absolute ass off with personal training, you know, 5am starts to, working until 9 p.m. and then working nights in a nightclub to get extra money in for years yep. and then 
taking all of that, which, you know, house deposit, which the normal person would go, great, I finally saved up enough to buy a house, have some security. I took all of that. And you backed yourself. And invested it. So, and then since then, it's just been everything I make from my coaching business, which is, I would say like, it's a successful business. So everything I make from there just goes straight into Femtech to pay all the engineers, pay everyone. So I haven't, I haven't paid myself a wage in almost two and a half years. So have you um, thought about raising investment, raising some funds to cover all of that? Yeah, so it's it's going down the journey, the the path now, I should say, of trying to raise seed investment because it's developed enough that it sparks interest in investors. Whereas, oh, good, you know, two and a half years ago, it was um, a very, it was just an idea which which was highly risky for investors. So it's going it down. Is, and, the- and also, I think for investors, there is. Um, there, there are just so many people who have ideas and it doesn't go anywhere. So why would they invest until you've put some hard graft in? They can see that. But it, it is incredibly difficult. And then being a woman on top of all of that makes it super difficult to be able to access any funding. So, um, it does. but it's amazing that you've got this fast so far. And then, are you, and then, would you would you consider crowdfunding, or are you going to go out and do uh, sort of pitches and things like that? No. So initially, I did want to do a crowdfunding campaign. Kickstarter campaign, and that was a that was the plan for over two years. And then when it came to doing the Kickstarter, I actually spoke to a couple of Kickstarter agencies who all said the same thing: um, what your actual goal is. So you always put a lower goal for Kickstarter, you know, ten thousand, fifteen thousand that you know you can hit in ten minutes, for example. Um, and then what your actual goal is to go to manufacturing, you know, that might be 500,000, 600,000 for all the yeah. order quantities, manufacturing everything um, to really finish it off. And they said what your actual goal is, you need to spend 20% of that in ad spend to generate interest in the Kickstarter. And I was like, uh, are yeah. you kidding me? I have to spend between like sixty dollars and $100,000 in ads to go to Kickstarter to then lose 5% or 10% or whatever it is to Kickstarter. I was like, no, thank you. That's That sounds ridiculous. If I had sixty dollars to $100,000 sitting in my back pocket, I, I wouldn't be spending it on ads. I'd be spending it on buying stuff yeah, <laughs> and not yeah. stressing about crowdfunding. Um, so, yeah, that's um, that's why we, we've moved to a pre-order model and we'll right. be opening pre-orders in about six weeks. So once – that happens, we'll be able to to get the ball rolling there. And who are your customers going to be? Are they the women who are wearing the rings or the personal trainers that need that data? It's the women wearing the rings. So what um, I'm actually working on as well with my software developer is to semi in line with the rings launching is a practitioner portal launching. So you as the coach will be able to log in and view all clients' data. Yeah. Um, and okay. if you don't have a coach or anyone, you as the user have the app and you can see all of your own data as well. But just the data that the coaches get to see, it's compiled a little bit differently. They get to see breakdowns of everything, different graphs, charts. They get to track notes on you. Um, whereas you as the user, you just see the information that's really relevant to right now, which you need to see, you know, the notification that says decrease training intensity, the notification that says, hey, it seems like you've ovulated. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's giving you notifications to your phone or something at the same time, is it? 
Yeah, so the app that it syncs with is is where all of the notifications are coming in. Yeah, great. Wow, it sounds amazing. I can't wait till it's out. And um, I can already think of some people I need to introduce you to, but I'll talk to you about that afterwards. So along the way, this is a question I really like to ask women because this podcast is called She's the Boss and it's about making women more visible and, and, you know, highlighting women in business. I always like to ask, have there been any women that have mentored you along the way that have made a difference? Now, I know you've only been in business for uh, five or six years, but um, have there been any people in your career, let's say, any women who stand out to you as having supported you? Yeah, there's there's so many colleagues that I have who have supported me, and it's oh, that's um, fantastic. It's funny because yeah, I actually um, th- there obviously have been specific women, but I actually feel like some of the most support I've ever received has been from men, which is crazy yes. in that perspective. When no, we're no, talking a lot, about a lot colleagues. of. A lot of people would, would say that um, because there are a lot of guys out there that champion yeah. women as well. But I, I And I love it that there were, but I just wondered if there were any women that kind of stood out as having kind of helped you on your journey a bit. Yeah, there's um, one of my actually close friends. Her name is Zoe Knight um, and she runs with her husband a really successful coaching business um, called okay. Muscle Nerds Education. So they do a lot of education for coaches. They are um, they are the benchmark of education for coaches. Um, okay. And I actually remember because we in that my, my business partner and I previously um, just before lockdowns we actually opened our own personal training studio. So we had a gym, and then obviously over lockdowns really suffered. And when we got out of lockdowns two years later, um, our lease was almost up and we said, you know what, let's just put the pin in it for now and we can always circle back. And in, in hindsight, great decision because she's um, now had a baby, she's on maternity leave, really loving life, and had that gym still been around, it would have just been a workload that I wouldn't have Difficult. been able to keep up yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Zoe has been really helpful and actually when we – opened the gym and we're looking at bringing on an employee I remember thinking I have no idea what I'm doing with an employee and contracts and what I need to do what do I need to pay them because it's obviously so different from a coaching perspective it's not just the personal training session I mean they are um, they're working with their client all week they're communicating with their clients so how do you pay them and um, she actually jumped on a call with me for a couple of hours and just went through all of the stuff that they do with their coaches. And I remember being like, wow, I don't think someone has ever given me this much information um, just, oh, just because great. without without wanting something in return. So there was no gatekeeping whatsoever. So, yeah, definitely when I think of you know a woman who has stood out, who has helped in that time, definitely Zoe. Oh, that's fantastic, Olivia. Um, Okay, so when you are madly in love with your business and there's a lot of work to be done, how do you stop yourself from getting burnt out? How are you juggling work and life to give yourself some boundaries and some time off, or aren't you? (laughs) Um, If if I ever find the answer to that question, I'll let you know. Um, It's – I honestly – have this analogy where I work with not a work-life balance, but a work-life pendulum. So for me, it's, you're never going to have the two balanced. You never will. 
Um, whereas a pendulum can swing between the two and sometimes a pendulum spends a little bit more time on one side and then sometimes it spends a shorter amount of time on the other side, but it yep. will always swing back. So when I'm thinking about what I do with that, you know, work-life balance, which doesn't really exist, I am present when I need to be present where I am. So if I'm in my personal life, my laptop is away, I have a work phone, work phone is completely away. If I'm catching up with a friend, my work phone doesn't come with me. There's really that disconnect where there's no potential for me to like look at a email or reply to a message from a client or anything like that. So that's something that is really important to me and only really something that I've implemented over the last two to three months. Um, but when Good in idea, terms of you know, my relationship, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> been life changing, but in terms of like, you know, my relationship with my partner, when we're spending time together, we're spending time together. You know, I'm not on my phone. Yeah, right. I'm not replying to emails. And I think that's incredibly important. So I the work so life pendulum. Too trademark is is something that I um really live by. Yeah, great. That's really, really good. Okay. Um, we're nearly at the end, but I have a great question I like to ask everyone, which is, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? And it doesn't have to be about business. Um, I have a lot of dog facts and I also really like <laughs> knowing how tall celebrities are. Um, so, you know, if I <laughs> watch <quirky>. anything, <laughs> so if I watch anything that has any movie, TV show or anything, one of the first things I'm doing is Googling how tall they are. Um, I think I was Why? like done dirty by, I think I was done dirty by finding out Leonardo DiCaprio was so short when I was younger. Um, I thought he was quite tall. I thought he was over six foot. No, no, he's, he's short. Um, so I remember like reading that and being like, oh, well, it's shorter than me. Um, right. How tall are you? So are you very tall? Five, nine and a half. So not very right. tall. Um, Same as me. Especially not in terms of the modeling industry where you have absolute gigantors. Um, but, yeah, I think I was done dirty by some of my crushes that I had when I was a teenager and was like, no, I'm not, I need to prepare if I ever am single and – I meet these celebrities, <laughs> I need to know who to be interested in. So I just from then on have always Googled and been interested in how tall celebrities are. It's that is very so funny. not conducive to anything. <laughs> No, I love it. I love it. I think um, I think Tom Cruise was the one for me, and I realised that all of those American celebrities, or a lot of them anyway, are are pretty short. They're all sort of you know five, six, seven, eight, that kind of oh, thing, tiny. which I think is pretty short anyway. All right, Olivia, you're, you're amazing. What is <laughs> if if somebody wanted to get hold of you, um, or, or find out more about femtech? What's the best way for them to do that? So you can pop over to Femtech's Instagram, F-E-M dot T-E-K, that's Femtech's, or you can pop over to mine, The Lifting Doula. The Lifting Doula. All right, brilliant. Thank you so much for this great chat. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sTheBoss.com.au.